Hello, you're listening to AIMS Audio Waves, a shortcast brought to you by AIMS, where we discuss the latest topics from the world of nutrition and dietetics in short, easy to listen to episodes, ideal for listening to on the go. My name is Priya Chu. I'm a registered dietitian running Dietitian UK, a private practice and consultancy business. I'm a media dietitian and author to two books, The Dash Diet and The Complete Low FODMAP Diet Plan, and I am your host. Andrea Reimer, dietitian at Vegan Society, joins us again today for our fourth and final episode focused on vegan diets. So welcome back, Andrea. It's great to have you again. Hi, Priya. Thanks for having me back. Thank you so much for all of your input in the last episode. So on previous episodes, we've talked about the impact of veganism on the health and the planet, the things we need to consider for our patients who are vegan and how we can support them. Today, I'd really love it if we could round up our discussions by asking you, what does the rise in veganism mean for oral nutritional supplements? This is a really good question. So uh, medical management and veganism can often be quite a taboo subject. And veganism is a protected characteristic. So all public authorities should be mindful of that direct and indirect discrimination. So due to the nature of healthcare and medicine, including the process of of licensing and the use of animal testing, this might not fall within reasonable or practical elements as the food first principles do. Due to the nature of healthcare and medicine, including the process of licensing and the use of animal testing within medical management, then somebody's veganism might not fall within reasonable or practical elements, the same as what food first principles do. So we know that some people might be willing to compromise their veganism when it comes to oral nutritional supplements. Mm. And we also know that oral nutritional supplements tend to be used more in hospitals due to poorer appetites that limit food first principles being effective. So our vegans are at a higher risk of malnutrition in hospitals. We don't know. There isn't any current data that can answer this, but it is likely with the lack of all nutritional supplements available for vegans, then this is likely. Mm. Do you think that oral nutritional supplements therefore need to be reassessed? Personally, yes. So as we mentioned in the previous episode, There are actually um, oral nutritional supplements based on soya. We know that soya is a great quality plant protein. And as mentioned as well in the previous episode, there are some oral nutritional supplements that might be suitable for vegans, but do lack protein. There is room to sort of, you know, use soya protein for vegan patients. However, they do have added vitamin D that comes from an animal source. Thankfully, we do now have a vegan version of vitamin D3. There is evidence that it could be more bioavailable than vitamin D2. There is scope to use plant versions of vitamin D3 in soya or nutritional supplements. So when it comes to reassessing those, that might be something that manufacturers want to be mindful of and Mm. should be aware when making products that can be accessible for vegans. Something that's also important to consider is that, you know, vegan nutritional supplements can also help other people. You know, they could be suitable for other people that might not necessarily call themselves vegan. For example, people with with dairy allergies, soya protein could be a good alternative for these people and not compromise their nutrition. Really good point. So I know there are some vegan supplements available in the market at the minute. How do they compare with the non-vegan ones are they lacking anything would you say 
Yes, a lot of the vegan supplements that are available at the moment do lack protein. They don't tend to have as much protein as the milk-based supplements. And as we mentioned, soya protein is comparable to milk proteins. There have been studies that measured people taking soy protein and people taking whey protein, which comes from milk, muscle strength and muscle mass was the same. So we know that soy protein is a quality protein that can replace milk proteins. Unfortunately, yeah, as mentioned, a lot of the oral nutritional supplements available for vegans do lack protein. And another form of protein, so we know that soya is a common allergen as well. So there is room to research other forms of vegan protein. Pea protein is um, another quality plant protein. So when we talk about quality plant proteins, we're talking about those with, you know, a good amino acid profile. We know that peas and beans and legumes do have the amino acid lysine, which is something that vegans do pay attention to because a lot of other plants might not necessarily contain this amino acid lysine. So when we're talking about quality plant proteins, we want ones that contain this amino acid and pea protein is a good example of that. So there's room for, you know, both soya and pea proteins to be included when when people are looking to develop oral nutritional supplements suitable for vegans. So I'm really interested in this idea around protein and I heard you saying how good soya is. So pea protein doesn't contain all of the amino acids, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Does so, that pose a problem therefore if somebody was relying on a pea protein supplement? Possibly. I mean, we'd have to look at the whole nutritional intake, wouldn't we? So what else are they managing? So it could be that if somebody's relying heavily on oral nutritional supplements, so you know, if most of their intake is coming from oral nutritional supplements, then we might want to go for a soya-based oral nutritional supplement that does have a complete amino acid profile. When we talk about sort of complete proteins, It's a term that's quite outdated, actually. We don't tend to use that because we know that by eating a varied diet, we can get a mix of all the amino acids. And that's particularly important for vegans that will have quite a diverse range of different plant proteins within their diet. However, when we're talking about this particular patient group that potentially might have a reduced appetite and less intake from food, we need to be mindful of what nutritional profile or nutritional supplements contain. Mm, Really interesting. And just coming back to that freedom of choice, I'm quite interested in that because I work within eating disorders and it is something that that comes up. What is your, your thought around that? How does that play out? with this patient group? Yeah, so as we mentioned, veganism is a is a protected characteristic. So it's been fine to come within the scope of international human rights and um, vegans in the UK are protected under human rights and equality law. Okay. However, veganism is a way of living. So it seeks to exclude as far as possible and practicable all forms of exploitation and cruelty to animals for food, clothing or any other purpose. So we know that veganism is an ethical belief. However, it is important to note that it is what is as far as is possible and practicable. So when it comes to medical situations and the use of oral nutritional supplements, with a lack of vegan options, it might be that somebody might have to compromise their vegan beliefs for their health. And it's important to be a vegan advocate. We should look after our health. Although freedom of choice, compromise might be considered when it comes to our health. 
And this can be upsetting mentally and physically. So, for example, if somebody hasn't had dairy for a long time, then introducing dairy into the diet could be not only mentally upsetting, but could also cause them to, you know, feel a little bit nauseous because it's something they haven't tasted for a long time. So we do need to be mindful of that when we're talking about medical management and the use of oral nutritional supplements. Totally, really, really valid point and important point, I think, to consider there if somebody is having to introduce something back into their diet, just how uncomfortable that could be for them physically, emotionally. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really hard decisions and talks to be had as dietitians sometimes. So thank you for bringing that up. And thank you so much, Andrea, for another really interesting chat today. I think it was a great way to round up our series of discussions on vegan diets. Hopefully our listeners have gained lots of practical tips on how they can support this specific patient group in their own clinical practice. I know I certainly have. So thank you once again to our listeners for joining us. And we hope that you've enjoyed this set of episodes. Please tune in again soon. We'll have more expert speakers discussing hot topics from the world of nutrition and dietetics. Thank you, Andrea, for joining us. Thank you for having me. 